When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. And if you are new to the podcast, we'd like to welcome you here. And if you like what you hear at the end of the episode, subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you consider yourself a lover of good music and you've been with us for a while, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook to connect with us there and get updates on upcoming episodes. Or you can message us and tell us what artist you would like us to talk about. But first off, Spotify has given us our 2020 wrapped. I, um, me and my family are Apple Music users. But Lucas, I'm really curious. Boo. I'm really curious as as a Spotify user and the the main researcher for the podcast. I'm curious to see or have you talk about what yours looks like because it's a lot more interesting <laughs> than the casual users wrapped. Uh, yeah um before it just all revolved around the artists that either i was discovering that year or just in general the the songs that i was really digging this time it's pretty much all um revolving around the podcast um my top artist this year is the artist that we're talking about in this episode Aretha wow. franklin <laughs> I didn't know you're such a big fan. I uh I mean I am now, but the main reason why she beat out everyone else was because we originally this is actually the third time we've attempted to do this episode. <laughs> and so because of that, I actually ended up researching her three times. Because this is uh the episode that you're listening to, I have probably not had to work as hard to learn about an artist more so than I have on this episode. There's a lot of music. So yeah, like a week was never enough to get me to learn everything that I needed to know. And so each time that we pushed it back, I would just continue where I left off on the research even still, I only really got through about like the first 13, 14 years of her career. How long is her career? Um, up until the early 2010s. Man. That is... And in her first 10 years, she released 20 albums. Respect. That's a lot of music. Yeah. 
no pun intended there, or maybe <laughs> pun intended. There was pun intended. Um, yeah, there's just, gosh, there's so much music. So much, because each of these albums has like 15, 16 songs on them. Did she write all of her own songs? No. She actually writes very little of her songs. She's mostly a cover artist. Hmm. But she's, I would say, probably the greatest cover artist of all time. So are any of the songs in this episode covers? All but one. All but one are covers. All but one song on this set are covers. I would not have expected that. Okay. I know. And that's the thing. That's what why she's so good at it. She because the whole point of a cover song is to um to take the song and reimagine it and put your own interpretation to it. Right. It's not it's not usually considered a great cover song if it sounds exactly like the original. Mm-hmm. Um I mean you know, there's certain times where you're just like, oh, you were able to recreate that song. Good job. Mm-hmm. You know, that's typically what you would expect if you were to, like, try and cover a Rush song. Because it's not the type of genre that really lends itself to dramatic retellings. Because it's already very unique in of itself. Mm-hmm. But... um someone like Aretha, the type of music that she's playing, she was just, she had a great mind for putting her own stamp onto it. And yeah, I was, I was really surprised by some of these songs that I knew beforehand and finding out, Oh, that's not her song. And in pretty much every instance, anytime she would cover it, the original artist would, tell her this is your song it's not my song anymore (laughs) which that's a great endorsement to get from the person that you're covering i'm still curious though i want to know what your spotify wrapped is yeah yeah we kind of started to go ahead and i I jump in there there Uh, on the asking about the if you're on songs (laughs) yeah um so yeah aretha franklin was my number one and then uh beatles was number two Mm-hmm. Which was not super surprising because I had to I listened to pretty much their entire catalog getting ready for that episode. And that's a that's a lot of music. Um my third was Iron Maiden. That's about what I expected, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fourth was Rush mm-hmm. and fifth was Pink Floyd. So it was kinda like Besides Aretha being number one, which was the big shock, and it also told me that I was in the top 0.05% of her listeners. Did it tell you how many (laughs) minutes you listened to Aretha Franklin? Not to her specifically, although I ended with uh, 36,000 minutes total. Okay, that's not not terrible. I I I was kind of surprised by how small it was, and then I realized that I switched to spending a lot of my time also in audiobooks. There's there's a uh, lot of people listening to listening to biographies. There's a lot of people I know who got over a hundred thousand minutes into Spotify, and I'm like, how do you have much yeah. time that you know? Mm-hmm. 
How does your phone stay charged that long? Yeah, exactly. But, oh well. And then uh, my top song, however, um, was not a song that we even uh, did on the podcast. But it was a song that was originally going to be on the podcast. It just uh, didn't make the cut. And that is uh, Power Slave by Iron Maiden. Oh, man. Because <laughs> originally that was going to be part of the episode when it was going to be made in epics. But then whenever I switched to Maiden Live, I uh, I took it off the list. And I'm just going to save it for when we do uh, an episode on the classic era. But I listened to that. That's, that one is almost tied with number of the beast for my favorite maiden song and so you know i particularly listened to that one quite a bit as well as back when we were still doing cover songs i uh took special time to learn it on bass because that was going to be my pick at the time if we were going to pick cover songs Mm. so I'm not surprised that that was my number one. And then my other, my number two was what surprised me the most out of my songs. It was one of our podcast songs, but I don't remember particularly listening to it that often. And that was a Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting by Elton Really? That was kind of one. I was just like, why this one? Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember listening to it like outside of doing research and i don't remember um listening to it more than the other songs (laughs) that was one that that kind of confused me and then uh ghost of perdition was my third one which makes absolute sense because i played that song over and over again trying to learn how to play it on bass (laughs) i literally that song almost ended me trying to learn it it was so difficult that, both those opeth songs were just so much when we covered them it was just so much yeah the the drums took me a longer time on deliverance and bass took me a longer time on ghost of perdition i i wish that then, i had spent the extra time to mix those better because i think we performed them pretty good but, yeah those it was it was that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I was just like, okay, we need to step away from doing yeah. these. This is taking too much time. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I do miss them, it was fun yep. to do. And then my fourth song was "Obsolete" by Mute Math. Yeah. And my fifth one was "Monkey Wrench." Really? By Foo Fighters. So Monkey um, Wrench just sounds like Disney Channel to me. For some reason, it just I know you might not get it, but just the sound of the guitar I get it, but I I don't like what you're insinuating by that. <laughs> what am I insinuating then? That it's bad. No. It's not what I meant. It's not what I meant at all. That might have been and, what I said, but that's not what I meant. It just okay. The intro of it sounds well, like, and you're watching Disney Channel. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I can see that, but man, if Disney Channel had an intro that good, then 
you know. That's true. I would watch Disney Channel every That's day. True. <laughs> um, so what, what were your statistics, Grant? Well, four of my top five were from the same band. And okay. I don't think you would be able to guess. Um, my top number one song was Brandy. Because I just love that song. Brandy, you're a yep. fine girl? Um, <laughs> I would have not guessed that at all. Okay, because... But I love it. I was watching I was watching Guardians 2, right? And this was right yep. before we did our ELO episode and, and whatever. And I had... And they talked about that song multiple times in the movie. And then I realized they're playing it at the beginning of the movie. And I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of good. I'm going to listen to this song. And so I listened to it. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, like this genuinely is one of the best songs of all time. And so I, there was like a week where it's like, I would just listen to that song on repeat. I played it like a hundred something times. Well, eventually in our uh, history of music, when we get to Yacht Rock, we'll talk about that song. Um, but the other four, and I guess it makes sense because of the length of the songs, the other four were all from Dream Theater. Okay, and, yes. And three of them were from and... Scenes from a Memory. And the other one yeah. was Octavarium. Um, what were your Scenes from Memory picks? Oh, I can't remember what they were. It was it was definitely um, Spirit Carries On was one of them. I oh, yeah. feel like... Um, Mm, I don't think it was. Dan- I don't think "Dance of Eternity" was one of them. I have, I have it screenshotted on my phone. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I think that "Home" was one of them. Oh yeah. And here they are. "Spirit Carries On" is um, my second. "Octavarium's three. Finally, "Free" is number four. That makes sense. And beyond. This- so pretty much, you were. Beyond this life, you were really vibing the second half. Oh yeah, I re- yeah, just killer. I, well, I don't know which You're... half of the album I like more. I like both halves. I yeah, they're it's it's just it's just a perfect album it's from start a to finish. Stacked album. Um, yeah, and so one of the most stacked albums I've right. ever listened to. And so to. obviously, Dream Theater was my top artist. And that just makes me so happy because, like, I pretty much introduced you to them through the podcast. Yeah, and I had I had listened to them before, but I never had like enough context to, you know, get into them. And then as soon as I got mm-hmm. my Spotify Wrapped, I'm like, oh, I obviously love Dream Theater, so I'm gonna go listen to more. So I listened to every single one of their albums, and I don't like the Astonishing at all. Oh, I love it's the astonishing. Just, I can't follow the narrative. I know it's a concept record, but I can't follow what's happening. When it, if you know the narrative, it becomes a lot more fun to listen to because it's also that the 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 funness of that album is when you understand the characters and you understand the plot and you start to follow all of the the lead motifs throughout. Okay. And kind of starting to piece together okay, this one, this is this person's theme. This is that. And you start to see how that all starts to weave together. Okay. I thought that their self-titled was underrated. People told me that was bad, but I actually kind of liked it. Oh, it is so underrated. Really? I mean, yeah, because like, 
I remember not liking Through the Looking Glass. I mentioned that in our Dream Theater episode that I didn't. I still think it's one of their weakest. Right. But uh, when I listen to it again, I'm like, I feel like I have more of an appreciation for it because it's, it's, I don't know. I think I'm more. It's got some really killer songs on it, but it's also got some pretty forgettable songs. That is true. That is definitely true. Um, but right now, I'm really vibing to Nightmare to Remember and Glass Prison. Mm, yeah. Glass are... Prison is a great song. That Whenever Those... I played football yeah. in high school, that was like the song that I would listen to like to get hyped. Right. Um, and then my second artist, which I didn't expect. I expected to be in the top five, but I didn't think it was going to be number two, was Ghost. Um, but that's probably just because they have such strong records that I keep listening to them start to finish. Um, and then yeah, man, I'm not surprised by that. And then Rush, which I expected to be up there, Megadeth, and then Pantera. So, I mean, it was all they're all artists that um, I've known before. But and I, then Brandy's just in there. Yeah, and then Brandy's just in there. Yeah, exactly. Those those are all artists I love it. that like I've listened to before, you know, and especially like Rush and Megadeth I've listened to before. But the other three are really ones that the podcast has helped me to like discover. That's what a great testimony. Yes. So <laughs> listen to the Good Music Podcast, guys, as if you're not already. Yeah. This is probably the longest intro we've ever yeah, done, yeah. so I think we can go ahead and get into uh, into the episode. Okay, well, let's get into the episode. So, just like I was saying earlier, we're talking about Aretha Franklin, my number one artist. I was just I was shocked whenever that came on, but then I thought it was complete sense because I I wonder if it'll tell me because. I made up ranked like playlist for her just like I do for most everyone else. Uh, I, I, w- I want to see if it can tell me how many songs I ranked just in the first her first ten years. Um, let's see. I had to rank two hundred and two songs. And that was just in, and that was just from. And you listened to all of them all the way. Yes, down. I did listen to all of them twice. So how many, the how original, many hours? Um, lots of hours. <laughs> I mean, I it, I would get to points to where like my head would hurt because there is a large portion of her catalog that sounds exactly the same. Yeah. And, and even and, on the six songs that are today are really, really similar. Some of them. Yeah, but that those are the those songs are really good. Yeah. So it's kind of like you don't care. But um, the section of her songs that are not good, it's 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 it was pretty hard to get through. It's one of the hardest times I had ranking, just because she had her early period is a really rough period. So so kind of the way that the Beatles were is the fact that she had to sort of write the bad songs first. 
Yeah, the thing with the Beatles is that they wrote all their bad songs before they started recording. Right. Um, what and era? Even are in, by the way. So this is this is pretty much all in the '60s. There's one song on the set that's from 1970. Okay. But besides that, these are all from the '60s. Um, her first album came out in um, '60 in '60. Wow. And she was only 20 years old whenever she made it. Wow. But she had been a professional singer since she was like nine. <laughs> wow. So, and that was it's one of those. Wow. I I really didn't know much about Aretha Franklin. So everything was a surprise to me, but I was surprised by how many surprises mm -hmm. I found. So... She is actually um, the daughter of a, one of the most famous preachers of the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. uh, Reverend R.L. Franklin. And okay. he was kind of like the, um, the preacher that really started to bring um, music and gospel into... Um, the mainstream because he was the first to um, not make a distinction between gospel and R&B and blues that he was instead of saying that you know gospel is is God's music and the blues is the devil's music he was just like they both come from the same thing and we should mix them and match them together oh that's cool and he was a big part of the civil rights movement. He was um, one of Martin Luther King's closest um, compatriots and collaborators. And he, um, and Aretha Franklin was very close to him and did a lot of private uh, events for him doing the singing. Mm -hmm. And was Martin Luther King's favorite singer. And um, so pretty much she showed a talent very, very early. And what he would do is he would bring her around to all of the churches that he would go and speak at. And he would be like, and now here's my daughter, Aretha, going to sing some songs for you. And so she got, she was on the touring cycle when she was 12. Wow. Oh my gosh. And was already like, you know, pretty much a genius. So she, another thing that I think really stunned me was because of the fact that she's just always known as a singer, singers tend to get a bad rap of just, you know, especially because she wasn't really a songwriter. Mm -hmm. She wrote every now and again, but it's not what she was known for. Mm -hmm. And definitely, I never knew her as a songwriter with the little knowledge that I had. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned to find out that she had like a, a genius musical mind because she had a brilliant skill for arranging as mm -hmm. well as she had no traditional music training. Like she didn't know how to read sheet music. She didn't know music theory. 
but she had a the equivalent of a photographic memory of she could hear a song one time and go to the piano and play it note for note perfectly. Wow. Oh my gosh. And that's the other thing. All the songs that we're going to listen to, she's playing piano on them no too. No way. I didn't know that. So she's she I know that I didn't know that either originally. She's a she's as much of a piano player as she is a singer. And that blew me away because there's a lot of pretty complex piano stuff going on throughout these songs. She um, so yeah, she just she had this ability to hear any vocal line. Like when she was a little kid, she would hear kind of all of the big time gospel singers singing, and she could replicate them perfectly just from ear. So she just she had she had that kind of mind, not necessarily the mind of someone that you know is writing all these songs. Mm-hmm. But someone that could just she she knew instinctively exactly how music was supposed to work, so, and she could she could recreate it effortlessly. So, like, what genre would she pull from? Like, obviously, we know kind of what she sounds like from the songs, but like the genres she would cover were was it a wide range of stuff, or was it? specific yeah and it, and it also kind of depends on what era she's in so like when she first starts out she's mostly covering uh jazz standards mm. and um because that was kind of you know if you weren't going to be a exclusively christian artist and do gospel then if you were a female singer, then that's the route that you had to take is you had to be a jazz singer. Mm -hmm. There weren't really many other mainstream um, big female artists before her that weren't in that vein. I mean, occasionally you had, you know, your blues artists and, um, but really, this was this was still a little bit pre Motown. She actually was not a Motown artist, um, mm. so she wasn't part of that. You know, the the pop diva didn't really exist before her. She actually created that mold. Oh wow! She, she was actually she was the first pop diva in the sense that we know today mm. of someone that is very. Um, that's fabulous, that's sophisticated, that's, you know, wearing big old jewelry and these crazy over-the-top dresses and just kind of, you know, just larger than life in every single way, big personality. Um, you know, she she really created that mold. But... Yeah, so she she pretty much started off covering jazz standards, blues standards, um, and then and you know just kind of what was considered the pop of that time because you know before the Beatles came around, pop was pretty much like your schmaltzy white people music, <laughs> where it's you know it's it's your Frank Sinatra songs, it's your um, it's your Barbara Streisand songs, mm-hmm. your you know, just that very much, you know, it's, it, you've got the string court, 
you know, the string section in the background and it's, you know, it's very jazz inflected and, um, you know, it's just, it's that style. Right. But then in the late sixties, she switched to more of an R and B, uh, soul genre. And that's kind of where she really found her popularity. And then after that, in the 70s, she moves towards uh, being more of a gospel singer. And she actually is really the first one that brings gospel to the mainstream and makes and brings it as a big crossover genre. Did she like explode in the 60s? Like when did she like become super popular? 67 was her big year. Okay. Which that was a big year for a lot of people. That was the Doors big year. That was Jimi Hendrix big year. Uh, the Beatles arguably probably never had a more important year than in 67 because that's when Sgt. Pepper came out. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, 67 was was the the year that everything changed. I think that it was the right timing for Aretha Franklin to make her big change. Big change because in the, in she, the mainstream, you mean? Yeah, because she tried for a long time to be a big mainstream success. And she had a very hard time of it. Mm-hmm. Because she just was not playing to her strengths. She kept trying to go the traditional route that female singers would go. And it just was not working for her. So she was kind of the one to sort of break the mold of that traditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she kept trying to do it the way that that normally was done. And when it didn't work, she just decided, well, fine, I'm going to do things my own way. And that's when she finally had her big break. Seems like that's been a common thread in a lot of our artists where yep. it's like once they once they just get fed up of doing it the traditional way and they go their own course that the it just kind of opens up to them. Yeah. I mean, you know, there obviously there are people that make it big by doing it the traditional way, otherwise it wouldn't be the traditional way. But typically, those people tend not to have the longevity or the importance. Mm-hmm. And she is definitely one that cr- she created something completely new, mm-hmm. not just in the way that you know she presented herself, in the sense of you know this this diva and this larger than life female star, but she also was revolutionary in the way that she sang. There had never been a female singer in the mainstream before. Now, obviously the reason the idea she got to be a big singer was because that's the way that the gospel singers were, Mm -hmm. but that's the thing about it was that that was for gospel and gospel was not at all a mainstream thing at that time. It was a very niche, very, um, very underground uh, style. It's not how we today where you um, you tell people about gospel and they know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Back then it was a bit more of a exclusive sound. 
if you weren't part of the the African American church, you tended to not know what gospel sounded like. And so, her singing style was very common in that, but it was not at all common for female singers to do that in pop. And she was the first real big female voice, as far as just a female voice that sang with so much power mm -hmm. and so much emotion. What? Why? She was. Why do you think it was sixty-seven? Um, I think a, For and her, a big part of it is gonna. Um, I mean, honestly, it was the song "Respect." Okay. Respect was that first song that just broke her through, and it it happened to come out at the right time. And we'll we'll talk in more detail about it whenever we get into the songs. Mm -hmm. But not just the way she sang it, but also the words themselves. It was just, it was the right song to sing at that time. Mm -hmm. Because of everything that was going on society-wise. Which, I feel like we've, we've talked about the year 67 quite a number of times now. Yep. And so, it's it's... This is, is going to continue to help add context that, you know, now whenever I talk about, you know, someone having a big album in 67, it's going to start to make sense to you now because you're going to you're going to start to have more and more of a better idea of what the time was like. That's why I think that context is so important to understand the greatness of an artist or the greatness of a song. You got to you got to know why it was important at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we talk about respect and I kind of go over the specifics, you'll kind of really realize, okay, now we know why this is her defining song. Mm -hmm. So um, it also helped that she was able to move to a new label. Her label was not treating her well and not making the best decisions for her. What do you mean? Um, they were the ones that were really trying to push her in the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And they were picking out a lot of the songs for her. Because until she switched over in 67, she didn't write any songs, period. That was not a thing that female pop stars did. Hmm. It, was, it wasn't what any pop stars did. The Beatles were the, really the first... Um, big time pop stars to write their own songs. Hmm. But, you know, pretty much you either had songs written for you or you covered other people's songs. And the other songs that you covered were songs written by other people. Even the artist that made the song famous didn't write the song. Crazy. You know, it was just, it's that there's, there, were, there was a building. Um, I can't remember what the name of the building is. It's got a famous name though, but it was just like, it was just, it was staffed with songwriters and just on every floor you had songwriters that were just writing for different styles and different artists. And pretty much you would just, you, you would write a song, you would present it to the executives. If the executives thought that it was good, they would bid out the song to whatever artist they thought would match it. That sounds like 2112. Yeah, that's just that's the way it, that's the way that the world 
move. That's that's why the Beatles was such an important leap forward in music was because now you don't have to go through that system anymore. You just write your own songs. Mm -hmm. And so when Aretha switched over, that's when she started to not only have a lot more creative control over the way the songs sounded and the way the songs were arranged. Like she was in complete control of the finished product. And that's another thing that I was very surprised to find out. She wasn't just someone that showed up, sang the song, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, she would tell, in the same way that we talked about with Michael Jackson, he, she would tell them how they're going to play the song. She would come up with the groove a lot of the time. She'd say, okay, I want to I wanna actually have this in a, um, in a calypso groove, or let's make this one in a shuffle. Let's... Let's change the way the guitar is being played here. But of course, because she didn't have like, you know, traditional music learning, she's not, you know, bringing in sheet music and going, okay, yeah. here's the arrangement. She would, you know, she would sing it out for him. She'd say, okay, I want it to sound like this. Ba, 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 da, da, ba, ba, ba. Hmm. She just, she did have that musical brilliant mind outside of just being a really good singer. Hmm. And so she just she had this immense, uh, and and we obviously now artists have even more freedom, but at the time an unparalleled amount of freedom for a female pop star. And she had her mind on being a pop star. She wasn't interested in being a niche artist. She wasn't interested. That's why she didn't want to be a gospel singer, because that limited how big she could become. She had aspirations of being the biggest female star in the world. And in 1967, she achieved it. She was the biggest female star. I would say she was the biggest female singer of the 60s. Well, Like, it only took one album on her new label because she was pretty much unknown for a long time. It wasn't like one of those things to where like, you know, she was gathering this big following and she just needed one more push. Like she was still pretty much coming out of nowhere. Even, you know, like 13, 14 albums in her career. She was getting a lot of critical acclaim, but like none of her singles were taking off. Hmm. And so a lot of people thought that she was a brand new artist when she came out in 67, (laughs) even though it was like her 14th album (laughs) overall. Wow. And, you know, she immediately was crowned the king, the queen of soul. Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, she just, she went from zero to 100 instantly. And just the world became obsessed with her. But surprisingly, she actually only has two number one Billboard hits. I mean, she was come. I mean, she was around the time of the Beatles, so yeah. But she also outlasted the Beatles. She she had a very long career. Mm, well, yeah. Well, obviously, because yeah. 
I had to think about that for a second because her her mm-hmm. career lasted to the twenty tens. Yeah. Did she ever have like um, down years? Oh yeah, okay. definitely. But still, she she had an incredible run from about sixty seven to seventy three. Was like that's like her classic period. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there's there's a separate chart for R and B. And she's got like you know, fifteen R and B number ones. Wow. I think I think she has the record for most R and B number yeah. one. Does hits. she have as well as? Go ahead. Uh, she she has the number one best selling gospel album of all time. Wow. Which that's going to be an episode all by itself. Because it's a live record and it's unbelievable. And so when we do a volume two, how I like to do a live artist sometimes, that'll be her volume two is we'll look at her gospel record because it's definitely her masterpiece. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. But yeah, her um, she actually only has two number ones okay. on on the Billboard, and one of them is actually in the late '80s, and it's a duet with George Michael. I mean, still having two number ones. I'm gonna guess the other one is Respect. Okay. Yes. Still having two number ones is a big deal. Hard, yeah, hard I mean, it's it's definitely no. Hmm. But still, the fact that she was a um, a pop star and only had two pop number ones, uh, I was I was a little bit surprised by that. But still, she is one of the most successful pop artists of all time. Well, part- even if she doesn't have now, let me tell you what she all of her, her classic songs that didn't go number one almost did. Mm. Like she's got a lot of songs sitting at number two, number mm-hmm. three, number five. So it's not like you know she had, you know, two hits and none of the rest came close. Mm. Just yeah, there's there was definitely stiff competition. So she she's there's sort of a reliability factor as well that makes her in the upper echelon of artists as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Barring, barring her early and, career. Yeah. The early career, it's... She, as a singer, she was fully formed. Mm-hmm. Completely fully formed on her first mm-hmm. album. Her first album is actually one of the best of her early mm-hmm. period. Um, Kind of before she... She got to a point, and I think what really hurts her in her early career, she was desperate for a hit. Hmm. And so she covered anything that she thought would be a mainstream hit. And some of them And they just never weren't. Were. Yeah. But there even on when we talk about in our after hours about her worst songs, none of them are because she put in a subpar vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Or or how in some bands or some singers we can say, well, 
at this point they're still trying to find their voice they're not their voice isn't fully formed yet mm-hmm. like you know with queen when you listen to their first album you can tell that freddie mercury hasn't fully formed his voice yet it's really on the second album that you hear him and you're like oh, okay there's freddie right there with aretha from the first album she's already there it's just that she just doesn't have the right songs with her yet hmm mm-hmm. so then once she actually gets a number one like what does she do so from that point she just keeps turning out hits and turning out albums like the pace of her albums does not slow once she gets a number one she releases like five more albums before the decade's over. And, you know, at that point, that's when her classic period begins and just song after song after song. And she just, she becomes a massive star, massive, massive. Now her as a person, she's very interesting. She is someone that, loves being uncontroversial even though she was a big diva personality she made a very concerted effort to present herself as a squeaky clean um, persona Mm -hmm. she kind of wanted to build herself up as the ultimate sophisticated lady like she was always very um, like she she put on this air of like she's high class and I mean not to say that she wasn't but um, you know she liked to keep out of the the spotlight the fact that she got had two kids before she was 15 Mm. Um, she liked to keep out of the headlines the fact that she was an abusive uh, in an abusive marriage for about eight years. She liked to keep out of a, the spotlight that she was a hardcore alcoholic. Um, you know, all those things she tried very, very, and she was successful because no one knew until much, much later in her life when uh, it started being corroborated by everyone else in her life about, uh, this is the real Aretha. Even in her autobiography, it's actually one of the most unreliable <laughs> sources that you can have about her story. Whoa. That's a little... Because she, in- she intentionally um, whitewashed it to make it seem way less... Um, damning than it was Mm -hmm. she she very much wanted to keep the illusion that she always had it together that she never uh, made any questionable choices Um, she wanted to kind of just be the um, the the perfect star and she had a lot of issues going on. Mm -hmm. And really where you can get the real story is in her lyrics, the songs she wrote and the songs that she covered. 
Hmm. It wasn't just her original songs that were really showing the real story. Like she was picking songs. It's that were even tell the story, even mm-hmm. if it might have been subconsciously. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we'll 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 delve more into that when we get into yeah, the songs about kind of going. Okay, so here's here's what was going on in her mm-hmm. life, and how this. How I feel this like connects. culturally we've kind of moved, and I'm glad. I I feel like maybe in the culture that she was in like and again being like a pastor's daughter and stuff like that I feel like a lot of that stuff can kind of Mm -hmm. culminate into like wanting to be seen as as someone that has always had it together I feel like now maybe culturally at least in America we've moved past that to like now whenever like it's a lot easier for people to share their like actual stories because usually there's like a I learned this thing and now I'm doing this. There's all there's a lot, mm-hmm. a yeah, lot the judgment being like thrown around nowadays than probably there was back then. The uh, the warts and all tell all is definitely um, a more in vogue thing now where. You know, it really wasn't back in the day. And definitely, you know, even when it started to become more of the thing, she never wanted to partake yeah. in it. And so where I actually got the bulk of my information was from the guy that did her autobiography and then made another biography later saying, listen, the first book I read was bullcrap. <laughs> because she did not at all tell the truth wow here's here's the real story from me getting all the info from everyone that knew her Mm, that's so sad to feel like you can never tell your story because she probably carried that with her even though it was in vogue she was probably always concerned that like people would just judge her Mm -hmm. Well, and she just, she was a very um, walled up person. Mm. She had very high walls. Like whenever the biographer was telling uh, Aretha's sister that he was going to do, that he was going to get the real story from her, she was just like, (laughs) good luck. Mm. She, She doesn't show anyone to anything to anyone. Like, she's just like, if she had her way, nobody would know her real story. Not even her close, the closest of closest people. So, it's very interesting. That is kind of weird. I mean, especially because that type of behavior would tend to make an artist seem a lot more mysterious, you know? But... uh huh. Again, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's something that nowadays, yeah, you would use it as a way to, um, you know, you kind of play with and create this mystique about you. With her, it was not about creating mystique; it was about, you know, trying to maintain a very specific image. Right, but you still feel kind of like you know her because she's such an expressive singer. That, mm-hmm. that it doesn't really have that much of an effect as much as it would be, you know, if it was an instrumentalist. Yeah, there's was, there was a time in the 
in the late 60s when she uncharacteristically did a very frank interview and uh, a cover piece and they printed everything she said and she got mad at them and sued them because they they used all of the ugly parts wow and they told they pretty much told the truth and she was just like no they should only print nice things about wow. me okay that's so crazy i guess be- because I've kind of, I guess, bought into the narrative because, like, I've almost never heard anything bad ever said about Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. That is by her design. Hmm. But would you would you classify so, it as like pettiness? Yeah, but it's so much more deep seated. You know what I'm that. saying? Like, are we talking like there's the typical drama of? no one printing bad stuff about them like petty or are we talking like there's like way like what you said like way deeper rooted issues with it than just oh there's definitely way deeper there's way deeper issues going on that's just the way that it's manifesting she had a lot of um a lot of deep insecurities she would often question her own ability which is insane to even well, we've think also about talked, though and uh, about like the child star kind of thing like her mm-hmm. being so young and going on tour and performing in front of people and people like kind of lording over her as a great singer and you know being thrown in the record industry at 20 like the, the those walls don't get built up themselves yeah you know? Yeah. And then add in that, I'm sure there was a lot of trauma with her yeah. first marriage. Cause it was it was pretty it was pretty bad. Hmm. Because not only was he her husband, but he was also her manager. Oh man. And so she felt that she couldn't leave him because he could ruin her career. He he made it to believe that she would be unsuccessful without him when really he was a big reason behind a lot of the bad decisions. When did, when did they split? And it was in 69. So she like made it big and then left him kind of thing. Yeah. And you can, you can hear it in her songs about what songs are about him wow. when they're, when they're, when they're going through their separation. Wow. So, um, but yeah, she, despite all that, she's legendary. Absolutely. Um, Rolling Stone magazine uh, did a list of the greatest singers of all time. And take a guess of where she One. ranks on it. Two. I One. said one and you didn't respond. Well, I was waiting for Ethan's. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Ethan was going to say his too. I, I was going to. I was just like the, uh, Ethan. I can't trust them. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, the, they're going to pick the. I don't trust trope, them either. Like the way overly done classical trope, but sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. they could, they could. I mean, if we're talking about Rolling Stone, they they could put anybody at the top in the top five that they want and, yeah. and it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah uh-huh. but 
and I remember reading that list of quite a long time ago and seeing her at the top. And again, the only song I knew of hers was Respect. I was just like, really? She's number one? I don't know about that. And now after doing it, I agree with them. I think that she is the greatest singer. Now you get it. I get it. And she was Freddie Mercury's favorite singer. Wow. That's high praise. Yeah. The whole reason their song Somebody to Love exists is because he wanted to create an Aretha sounding song. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And, and and he was he was obsessed with yet her. Yeah, that sounds like such a queen song. Yeah, of course they're they're always able to make it theirs, yeah. but that's where the inspiration to have it that gospel sound was. He was he said that he was channeling his inner Aretha. Do all these people know each other? Like, are there like interviews or conversations where Aretha's talking to the Beatles or Aretha's talking to? Um. She didn't really talk to a lot of the rock and roll guys. Now, in the uh, in the R and B world, she you know was very close with all those guys. Hmm. Uh, her and Ray Charles were were pretty um, chummy together. Hmm. Good old Ray Charles. No, Ray Charles. We'll do an episode on him at some point. Yes, Ethan, they all know each other because they're all lizards. Yep. And they run the world. Whenever they what? meet at their Illuminati meetings, they just, ca- just do all the catching up. <laughs> like, oh, that's what you mean. You're going to write this song, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, do you guys have any other uh, questions you want to ask before I'm we get started? I think I'm ready. On the the songs? deep analysis of the songs that you're going to listen Yes. Uh, again, I'll, I'll give you guys the context. I'm kind of looking to see what you guys pull musically from yep. these. So when we come back, we'll uh, we'll go over the six songs that we picked for the set. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back good music podcast we just finished talking about aretha franklin's early career and all of the mysteriousness around her life and all of her great singing wonderfulness and now we're going to actually talk about listening to her music in our six song segment so for those of you who are new you're kind of confused about the six song segment and that's okay first of all welcome we're glad you're here we got plenty of episodes And second of all, Lucas, could you help their confusion and ease their minds by explaining to them what the purpose of this section is? Let me ease y'all's minds. (laughs) Um, The six songs is our way to be able to concretely talk about the artist, uh, all the things that we were talking about in the beginning of the episode, as well as this is our um, starting point for those of you that may not be familiar with the artists that we're talking about. So I'm not just picking six random Aretha songs. I'm not just picking my six favorites. Um, I'm picking six songs that if you are unfamiliar with her, 
this is going to be your best first step with her. And um, I'm also picking the songs in a way to where they flow with each other from start to finish. That way they um, transition well, that uh, it's there's a there's a emotional flow and that by the time that you get to the end of it you hopefully have a cathartic experience and the way that you can listen to all these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode where you can find a spotify playlist that has not just the songs on this episode but all the songs from our previous episodes so make sure you go check that out and We'll go ahead and start with the first song, which is Respect. Pretty much the most logical place to start. Right. It's a, it's a great opening sort of song, honestly. Yep. And it is also the opening song on that album, which was kind of like her rebirth album. And and what year did this release? Sixty seven. So that's why that was kind of like her that was her big year. So this is the song that propelled her. Yes. This is um, her most well-known song. It's her biggest selling song. It's become one of not just her anthems, but one of the anthems. Hmm. And um, this, this was, this was a big song in 1967. It, uh, 67 was a tough year to get a number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Beatles <laughs> were arguably and probably their best year ever. Not only did Sgt. Pepper came out, but you also had songs like Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane and All You Need Is Love all reaching number one during that year. You had The Doors making their big explosive uh, debut you had uh, Jimi Hendrix coming on the scene Pink Floyd coming onto the scene um, you know it was just it was a huge year for music and she not only had that song at number one for one week but for two weeks hmm. so if you're gonna get a number one 67 is probably like the hardest year to get a number one hit on because it was you know the Beatles took up almost a quarter of that year on number one with the three different singles that they had so um, culturally we had the 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 summer of love going on we had pretty much just all of culture just really going under this massive change Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the hippie movement. You've got the the Vietnam War protests going on. You have the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. You have the really the birth of feminism and female empowerment, which is really where this song made a very large contribution. This was really kind of the first song of its kind to really boast about how great it is to be a woman and how a woman deserves just as much respect as a man does. Mm. So this song is a cover song. 
Okay. Which really, sh- which really shocked me whenever I found out this song was originally uh, done by Otis Redding. So not only is this a cover song, but it's a cover song of a male-centered song. Hmm. Yeah, he, he so completely even, took this from him. <laughs> yes. So in a way, she pretty much rewrote it. Yes. If you listen yeah. to the original version of the song, it sounds nothing like. The chord structure's not the same. The lyrics are not the same at all. The original lyrics is not about someone demanding respect and saying, you know, you need to give me what to do. It's actually us. The original perspective is someone being subservient to his woman saying, I'll do anything you want. Just give me some respect. And in that sense, it means sex. You know, you can, you can be as mean to me as you want. You can take all my money. You can uh, have your way with me. Just give me my due respect when I get home. Wow. Yeah, she rewrote the song. Yeah, and Did so... she actually rewrite the lyrics and stuff? Yeah, so she did that herself. She pretty much just... She saw the potential of what this song could be in her hands and com- and ran with it. Like, the whole... And, and stuff like the, the Just a Little Bit, that's not in the original song. She came up with that. Hmm. The, the whole R-E-S-P-E-C-T, she came up with that. That was not in the original song. Whoa. Like, literally, the, it's, it is a, a cover song in this, only in the sense of that a very different version of this song exists. <laughs> so is it really a cover? I think it's just a complete reimagining. Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, it technically is a cover, but this is why I think that this is one of the great cover songs of all time because she's she completely reinvented it. The best uh, cover songs do not sound anything like their original. Yeah. I mean, we we had this discussion with all along the watchtower a couple episodes ago with Jimi Hendrix. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that this even transcends. This is what really, because this is a song that unfortunately we have kind of almost heard to death. Yeah. And we, you know, we kind of have lost why this song is important, why it's big. When I learned how radical of a departure this song was as a cover song, my respect for it completely went out of the roof. Because I just thought that this was a song... I didn't even think that she (laughs) wrote the song. I just thought that this was a song that a songwriter brought to her and just like, here, sing this song. Okay. Mm -hmm. Showed up, sang it, collected the paycheck, moved along. Right. You know, when I realize now just how much of her own uh, vision went into this, that's just what really blows my mind. And that's why I 
decided to make this uh, number one on her ranked playlist. Number one. That's about the number one. The question Mm -hmm. I was about to ask. It couldn't be anything other than. It really can't. It's it's such a brilliant, um, brilliant reimagining. It's it shows off her skill as a singer. It shows off her skill as an arranger, as a composer, mm-hmm. and just also not uh, how important it is for her, but just for music in general, how this was a big shift in the types of songs that women in general started to perform. So you talked in our first section about how we get to see bits of her life, her real life through the songs that she would even cover mm-hmm. and i'll try to remember to ask this for every one of the songs but did this sort of relate to that idea yeah this was this was the time when her marriage was at its worst before she really started to um break away because he one of the good things that he did was he was the one that negotiated her new deal for mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. Because she was not a very aggressive person when it came to her business. Mm-hmm. Um, she was um, not a very, you know, like, I'm going to go get this. Now, she eventually became that. But at that time, she very much relied on her husband. And he did get her this deal. So at this point, she didn't consider leaving him because she still felt that she needed him. Yeah. But um, I think at this point, you can definitely see that she's starting to gain confidence in herself. You know, the, the, Mm. the, 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 the balls to say, you know oh, your kiss is sweeter than honey, but guess what? So is my money. Ooh, yeah. You know, that's a that's a, that's a a big statement for her to say. And uh, I think that this was, this was the beginning of her kind of finding her voice and finding her freedom. Mm-hmm. So um, walk me through kind of what you guys... Uh, seeing this song, kind of what stands out to you now, especially now that you know the context of it, has is anything now starting to change about how you view this song? Not musically, necessarily, but I will say that it's a good intro song because as soon as that brass section comes in and you kind of hear that funky guitar line, I mean the whole the whole band sounds big. But it doesn't sound like massive, overbearing, big, like a like a Devin Townsend chorus. It sounds like big, like like a like a band, like a full band is getting together and they're all coordinated and jamming in like in sort of with the same spirit that Iron Maiden would jam, but a very different genre. Very much, let's to get together, have fun type of music. Which is the complete opposite of what all Which of her complete... recording sessions were up until that point. Really? It was, very, it was very structured. It was very much, you know, 
like arrangements were written out beforehand. You had to wait on, wow. you know, the guy to write out the sheet music for everything. And in this section, it was very much more like jam session. This song, you mean? Yeah. That's that's the way that all the parts were written. Like they would get together and jam and she would start to come up with ideas and be like, oh, let's do this here. Let's do that there. Instead of, you know, she had like a, there was an in-house studio guy they would wait on to bring in and go, okay, here's what the violins are going to do. Here's mm -hmm. what the bass is going to do. Here's what the drums are going to do. And it's all very rigid and very pre-planned. This song didn't sound very much pre-planned. No, it's much more spontaneous. I think that that suits her style so much more, especially oh, yeah. because she's such a great improvisational singer. She She's really great at going off the cuff I think and deviating from the lyrics and from the melody. I uh, My respect for this song has gone up. I think that it's crazy, like, really listening to it like she only says the r-e-s-p-c-t thing like one time you know mm -hmm, but like right. whenever she gets there it's just like oh that's so freaking good especially after you yeah. more context on like all the verses like leading up to that point it's just <laughs> it's just a really good song it's a really powerful yeah. song mm -hmm. it's also interesting that you noted lucas that she added that part because it doesn't feel like you know because usually when you'll listen to a cover you can kind of tell when they've added a section that's not usually there but that part felt like it flowed so well like it, yeah it flowed better than like we talked about la via strangiato la villa strangiato in um our rush episode which was our last episode and how Ethan didn't you didn't like that part when they switched out of um the the F A jam sequence, whatever. Mm -hmm. It felt like they weren't gonna go anywhere. And so they had to go somewhere. That's and that's the feeling that I got when I first listened to that song. But the feeling that I got from listening to R E S B E C T section was like yeah, the song had to go somewhere else than where it was, but it didn't feel like it was forced. It felt like that's what it was leading to. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'll just throw that idea in here. Mm -hmm. And I guess that shows off her talent for being such a good arranger that she kind of did write this part, but fit it in in such a genuine way mm -hmm. yeah her her she had an incredible um ability for arranging i would say more so than songwriting that's why she didn't write songs that often although when she did she wrote some bangers <laughs> but it's just it wasn't just what she she didn't enjoy writing that as much she she definitely enjoyed more of the the performing and arranging part. Mm. Um, also, that uh, the line "suck it to me" mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. not a phrase that was common at the time that she used it. And she made that a popular what? saying. That's awesome. That was something that was pretty much like only street lingo. Mm -hmm. 
and um you know that became such an iconic part of the song and now everyone says that <laughs> and um even president nixon when he was going for his uh, first term that was one of his famous things he would say sock it to me like vote for me <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's there's just this this song is just very iconic and very important, and it just it felt like the the right logical place to start our Aretha journey because also most other people that are going to be listening to this they've all heard this song. Yeah. yeah, every everyone knows this, but now we have a new perspective of what all is lying behind it. And I think it gives us a a great. Um, way to move forward yep i agree all right i think we should go to the next song yes <laughs> i freaking love this song this song is so good i ethan is this your favorite oh i don't know i like <laughs> it more than respect just because i i don't think that it's technically a better song but like actually listened to the set a little bit different this week like i i I just like put the put all the songs on like the bows and i, and I kind of just like while i was doing like chores or whatever you know and mm-hmm. every time this song would come on i just like got so happy you know it's just like one of those songs where it's just like yeah it just i lifted I the think, room i think yeah i would agree that this one is this one has interesting re-listen value because every verse has a slightly different feel. You know, mm-hmm. especially as you go from that, from the first to the second, you know, and you have that guitar that comes in with the little whatever line it's doing. And the key changes, guys. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah, the key change is pretty great. It this is a pretty dense song, really. I and think it's less than two and a half minutes. We have we have redeemed the second song slot for me <laughs> because I almost chose this as my favorite song. I almost did, yeah, but I didn't. Um, we'll just we'll just we'll just say this right off the bat. She sings her butt off on oh, this yeah, song. Dude. Yeah. So it's kind of like you know respect. We're gonna we're gonna introduce and then with think, which we didn't even say what the name of the song was. We're talking about think. Uh, this is this is a song where now we're gonna start talking about why is she the greatest singer of all time. Well, this is a yeah. song where you listen to and you're just like, oh oh yeah, of course she is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of improv too that you talked about her being so good at. Well, it's mm-hmm. not really like improv, but it's like it feels very natural yeah the the one thing i would have changed about the arrangement of this song is i would have put the freedom part on the back end and done a double chorus if 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 the like because my favorite part of the song is when she's like freedom oh yeah that's that's the that's like the that's the the big moment of the song. Yeah, it it, it kind of is sad that it doesn't go back to it. Like I only get it once, and I wish that they would have like doubled it at the very end. Like they could have just smashed it. Mm-hmm. 
It's so good. Is that her being overdubbed for the the backing vocals? No, that's so. This is actually something I forgot to mention in the first song. The background vocals are her two sisters. Oh, that's cool. That's so it's so it's still Franklin. She was not the only singing Franklin. So she had she had two sisters and a brother. And uh, yeah, those are her, those are her sisters uh, singing background with her, and they they would all three work together to come out with all the vocal arrangements for all the different BGVs. So, um, so I was actually wrong when I said that uh, only one of the songs was for her. There's actually two. So this is one of the two songs that she wrote. That's it's good. Oh, okay. Okay, um, what year is this one? So this is sixty nine. So this is this is wow. the this at this point it was right after this album came out that she officially split from her husband. And, you know, I think that that's very telling that she has this big section where she's screaming freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can definitely uh, pick up on what she's really talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I think I think is my favorite song in the set. Really? Okay. Well, I'm looking through the other ones. And I I'm put. Like, I mean, they're all amazing songs, but I put this um, at number three on the three. list. Three. Mm-hmm. Wow. Question is: Is number two going to be on this, on this episode? No. You see, you always do this. You always skip like <laughs> numbers. You did that with Pantera. You didn't have the number one. Mm-hmm. And then the whole like set, I was like, oh, what's going to be number one? And then there wasn't one. Anyway, okay. But we have the number one song here. Yes. So. And then, yeah, on Rush, I skipped number two. Yeah. Well unfortunately but um so you talked about this song being indicative of where she is in her life as far as like her marriage being ended uh-huh is is there anything kind of like more specific about this song or like um no i mean pretty much this is this is kind of still in the same vein thematically as um, uh, respect respect where it's just you know someone that's demanding their uh, due of of respect and you know you need to think about me and not just think about yourself but I think I think specifically it's that freedom moment that kind of <laughs> gives you the little sneak peek into you know she's she's feeling relief she's feeling excitement that she is now free from this um from this relationship that she's been in so you said that she um she split with him after this album was released yeah she was she was in the process so that was uh, that was when it was official though that she was finally you know out of 
his um, influence. How long would it take her to write albums? I mean, obviously, there's like six very quickly. Yes, but she would she would you know pretty much come in in a couple weeks. The album would be done. Wow. She was not she was not the kind of person that would spend you know months in the in the studio. I, she pretty much pretty dense weeks. She would come in and she'd pretty much already know what she wanted to do. She didn't well, need to do she didn't need to do a lot of like experimenting or, you know, it's just she's just also just not that kind of artist. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't she wasn't someone that just that labored over in the studio just going, "Man, I just, you know, we need to get the the exact right take or um you know, I just I'm I really want to experiment with some different types of songs. Like, you know, she she usually always had a pretty clear vision of what she wanted to do. The re if there would ever be a delay, it would be because she would get in these depressive moods and just not show up. Well, hmm. And they'd be like, um, "We were scheduled to be in here. Where's Aretha?" Hmm. And they would like search for her and they couldn't find her. And then like a couple days later, she'd come in and go, okay, I'm ready to work again. Hmm. Like she would never talk about something being wrong. This was again, just kind of her, her secretive nature. Hmm. Man. That's weird. That's kind of sad. Yeah. It's, it's not, at all a great way to live yeah but it was it was what she wanted to do so um but yeah i mean just she she just completely slays this song yeah yeah from start to finish and kind of the 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 trajectory of this um this set is kind of we're we're moving in this direction of just like these increasingly crazy vocal performances. You know, I didn't notice that. But it's but it's I a crazy vocal performance, but it doesn't even sound like she's trying. No. Oh no. And that's that's the crazy thing about her. Like you're some artists you hear them hitting high notes and you can tell, oh man, they're really trying to hit that note. There they hit it, but it you can tell that it took effort. With her, like every time I thought I heard her highest note, she like ups it. And it doesn't even sound like she's trying very hard. Like this song, until you like obviously I knew that she was going off on the song, but like until you like point out like until someone's like, hey, this is really good vocally, you kind of like listen back to it and you're just like, yeah, it's really good vocally, but it's, it just it, it just sounds like that's what the song is supposed to be because she kind of sings it so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and then think about the fact that she's playing piano because whenever she would um, record, she did not track piano and vocals separately. <laughs> Stupid. She tracked it, she tracked it live. Because she always felt that she got a better performance out of herself when she was at the piano. She always felt more natural there. Wow. 
You know, that's there's an argument for that. That's that's one of the things that um, that James Hetfield will do when recording Metallica songs is he'll play and sing at the same time because it sounds like more natural. And so it's it's not surprising to me that other artists do that as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um anyway. I think we can go ahead and move on to the next one. Yes. So when when was the unless you guys have anything nope. else. So this next one is good to me as I am to you. So wh- this this is the other one that she wow. wrote. This oh, this was about okay. this was about to be my favorite. So this is the one when, you know, pretty much this whole album, which this was 68. So this is the album before um, Aretha Now, which is the one with Think on it. And this is Lady Soul. Um, This is when the whole album, you can tell that this is her, like, breaking up, where the album after is kind of like her post breakup album. This is her mid breakup album. You know, and I, this one is definitely all about her husband. I did not get that vibe from this song. I got it like musically. The vibe that I got was that he is as good to her as she is to him. But lyrically, I got the vibe of her like still reasoning with him yeah it's kind of like she's she's wishing that he would be as good to her as she is to him yeah and and like still holding out hope i guess for lack Mm -hmm. of a better she never she never really writes some super venomous again she she has an image that she very carefully maintains so she never really has like these big fu breakup songs. That's kind of not her style. Even though she will be assertive in what she wants, she's not mm-hmm. typically writes. You know, there's a couple of exceptions. Like on that album, the opening song is uh, one of her most popular ones. It's "Chain of Fools," uh, which you could you could kind of you know. Um, point that out as you know a a big you know you're a a cold-hearted loser but it's not as you know it's more she's a little bit more of just like it's my fault for even believing you i'm the fool she's calling herself a fool not him a fool hmm. i just love that this like it's like kind of straight blues you know yeah so this song yeah it's this is a big time blues song and this really kind of shows her versatility she's not just a a soul or r&b singer she i've heard it said that she is the greatest blues singer of all time the greatest soul singer of all time the greatest jazz singer of and all gospel. time that's yeah and gospel that she just like everything that she did she was like the best at i mean she rips this song too vocally mm-hmm. yeah this is a song where i heard it and i was just like oh god <laughs> this is insane mm-hmm. and i put this at number six on the list 
we also have a very famous uh, guitar player guesting. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's Eric Clapton. No. <laughs> That's awesome. That is Mr. Clapton playing guitar. Oh on this my song. gosh! I'm gonna have to listen to that again because I didn't recognize it as being. Oh my gosh! It is him. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And uh, in the original sessions, he was so scared of her and of her vocal talent. He was so intimidated by her that he completely botched all of his. Uh, playing when he was tracking live with her. Like he kept get he was so intimidated and he kept getting distracted just kind of like like zoning in the out awe of her vocal her performance. performance. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which did happen quite often with other musicians that she kind of had a reputation of just kind of like messing up the musicians that were around her because they would just like stop what they were doing because they're just like oh god i mean this song she's i mean on think it's like she's going for it on this song it's like a different kind of going for it yeah it's it's this is this, it's more song. of a yeah it's it's kind of scary how hard she's going at it her and... Her voice is carrying this song. Mm-hmm. It's like and just yeah, when, just when she goes off on those little on riffs, that beginning piano riff is so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, so Eric Clapton had to come back the next day and redo his um, his guitar with without having a. Uh, in the room <laughs> having her there in the room with them and then he was he was just like after that i i was fine but um when she was in the room he was like i just couldn't do it hmm. i mean no, you no. imagine though like i mean it probably wouldn't be hard as hard for drummers and bassists but the guitar parts are like a lot more like felt and almost like also singy Mm-hmm. It would be really hard, like, because she she sings a line and then he plays something, you know, and then she sings something and then he yeah. plays something. Uh-huh. I, if I was playing guitar too, I'd just be like, "You don't need me. You don't yeah, need that... me to fill in here. <laughs> you just do it, right? Especially, yeah, especially because like she is so. There are points in the song where she sings with so much intensity that and so much emotion that it's like the rest of the band you like your ear barely cares about it anymore yeah Mm -hmm. and so i'm sure that eric clapton having nothing to play while she's singing can just you know zone out and be perfectly content to listening yeah He's like, this is it's better. Yeah, exactly. Way. I don't want to ruin the song by being in. And then, like, he probably is overthinking because uh-huh. he's like, where do I even find room for myself with this massive singer? Yeah. Like, like, where do I even play? And what do I even play that's going to complement this? It would just, it would just make it worse. You know, like all of these thoughts are probably going through mm-hmm. his head as he's playing. Yeah, but you know, it, it ends up being a great final product. 
and really a, a very unique song in her catalog because there aren't really a lot of other uh, songs like this where she's got this high class guitar part accompanying her. Because mm-hmm. really, you're not going to have another voice coming in yeah. singing along with her. So it's kind of more natural you would have an instrument and, you know, to have someone and this is this is actually two times in a row now where we had it with the Hendrix where we've got at the time the greatest guitar player in the world just completely feeling inadequate about his playing due to a new mastermind coming on the mm. scene. Hendrix did it to him and then Aretha did it to mm. him. Poor guy. He got beat twice. Because he's mm-hmm. a vocalist, too. I mean, he did fine in the long run. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. It's going to be very interesting. He's got one of the the biggest catalogs of just everything that he's played on in his life. I'm finding more and more stuff. So just like, oh, guess Clapton played on that. Clapton played on mm-hmm. that. Man, slow hand. So it'll be interesting whenever we finally do an episode on him, kind of going, okay, let's see what all he actually did. That would be it. That'd be an episode where, if we still did bonus songs, there'd be a lot to choose from. Yeah. Man. All right. This song is so good. <laughs> yeah. It is a very good song. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want mm-hmm. to add into it? I don't have anything else. I am ready. This is this is the kind of this is the kind of artist where we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on on the songs, not like we did with Rush. Oh yeah. <laughs> the songs are pretty straightforward, but it's it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of interesting context surrounding them. This next song is Son of a Preacher Man and it's my favorite yes. song. Oh. Oh yeah. And I I think this is my favorite too. Right. When was yeah. this written? When was or released? So this was in 70. This is the one song that's from the 70s. Ah, that's probably why you like it cuz it's in the 70s. Well, I just think <laughs> that I really like the the arrangement of this oh, song. Oh yeah, it's good. Um, so this song has an interesting way of how it got to Aretha. So this was a song that was originally written for Aretha. I mean, you know, Preacher Man, that's something that she relates mm-hmm. to very much. You know, she she lives in that world. But when she, uh, it was originally given to her, she was offended by it. Mm. Because she thought that, oh, you know, this is this is very offensive to my father to make a song about a preacher man be something sexual. She she hated when people would ask her if songs of hers were sexual. And she would just be like, No, that's sinful. Yeah. That's that's smutty. I'm not a smutty singer. I don't sing about smutty things. Mm. And so, you know, she originally was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so they gave it to um, a female singer named Dusty Springfield. And she had a minor hit out of it. And uh, that made Aretha very jealous. 
And she was just like, wait, this song that you gave originally offered to me, you gave to her and now she's being successful with it? No, I want it back and I'm going to do it better than her. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is turning into <laughs> Axl Rose. Yeah, she hated pretty much all other female singers. She saw them all as competition. Hmm. She hated if um, there were other big female singers on her label. She thought that she should be the only one. She didn't like it if um, people, other female stars had number one hits. It's why her early period was so um, frantic was because she saw these other um, these other female singers having hits and she just was getting really mad. I was just like, well, why am I not getting hits? What's what's the deal? And she would pick her songs based on, well, so-and-so had a hit with that. I'm going to do it better than her. Mm. And instead of playing to her own strengths, she was kind of constantly trying like to chase after. Yeah, she she was a very jealous person. And, and you can point to a lot of her insecurity. Mm-hmm. But... You know, she very much, you know, did not like it if any, you know, either I'm going to have the hits or no one's going to have the hits was kind of her, um, her attitude. And so, yeah, whenever I think she kind of realized, crap, I passed up on a good song, but she didn't want to mm-hmm. put it as that. Because mm-hmm. originally she told him, she was just like, why didn't you give me that song? And they were like, we did. And you told us you didn't want it. Well, I never said that, and now I want to do it. Well, that was yeah. kind of like her attitude. She's she was never a you know I, I admit that I'm wrong kind of person. But man, let me tell you what she yeah, definitely, she definitely did, did the, the definitive version. She did. She did. She, where before she was in, she was not able to one up. She, at this point, now that she knew kind of what her strengths were as a songwriter, it was definitely, um, she was definitely able to pull off a move like that. So, so what number is this on the list? Number four. Number four. Oh. You're going for that number two spot. I was, I was going for the number two spot. Yeah. Well, okay. So what exactly? Maybe number exactly four won't be on there. Song about or number two won't be on there. Like lyric, like getting more into the lyrics. So, like, is it still like sexual? I mean, it pretty much is. It's just it's kind of you know a song about you know the the preacher, the son of a preacher man showed me what what the Lord is all about. Kind of it's it's very much like kind of. Kind of pairing, you know, like a sexual experience with a religious oh. experience. Yeah, and you know, son of a preacher man is very much a connotative term. You know, how we have, you know, the term of yeah. the pastor's kid mm-hmm. tends to be the wild man. So it's definitely not saying I found a nice Christian boy, which, but that's the way she would yeah. justify it. She would kind of very much in the opposite way that people would try and 
read into lyrics and make them dirty mm-hmm. when they're not. Mm-hmm. She would do the opposite. She would take lyrics that are pretty obviously dirty and she would just go, no. Like if it was a sexual, these, this is between a married uh-huh. couple. Yeah. Or if it's a song about an affair, she'd go, well, they're not actually in an affair. They're just thinking about it. They haven't committed the act yet. <laughs> That's kind of the long uh, walk around that she would do to yeah. justify. But of course, you know, she knew what it was about. And she, she had a secret wild side. Hmm. That, you know, that when, you know, her other people around her would kind of was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, again, we pointed to the fact that she had two kids before yeah. she was 15. And then had two more after that before she was 21 Mm. so you know it's not like she was innocent naive didn't know any better she knew better yeah and i'm not putting her down for that i'm just saying she's she's pretending like she doesn't know anything about that but she does um to me and this song, I think what makes this song really cool and stand out is the middle section. Oh. Where you just yeah, kind of have know. this, you have this random dropout and it just goes to the the piano and her and uh, I just, I think that she just shows so much power and yep. something, we, we've, we've talked about it a little bit now, but her ability to emote through her singing, I think that no one has ever beaten her at. Mm-hmm. She never sounds like she's just singing. Mm-hmm. You, even in the worst songs, you can always feel that she's giving it her best. She's giving it her all and she's putting her heart into mm-hmm. it. Just usually it depends on whether the song is good enough to contain mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just, you can, you can really feel the, the raw emotion inside that middle section. I think it's kind of, it's more of a unique thing. She doesn't have a lot of sections like that in her songs. Yes. It kind of took me off guard, like re-listening through it. It's just like, oh, we're down now, but Mm -hmm. it's really good. All these songs are pretty short too. I may have been. I got. I may have gotten uh, conditioned to expect like the eight minute songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. We've uh, we've been in a mood of that lately, but we're uh, you know this is this is this is a different kind of artist. This this genre does not lend itself to long songs. Right. The I will say this song didn't stand out to me as being you know, particularly good the first time I heard it. It's not one of those where it's like, ooh, I thought it was bad, and then I listened to it over and over again, and now I like it. Like, it's good from the first time you listen to it. But the more you listen to Mm -hmm. it, the better it gets. (laughs) Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. That that chorus is so good. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, and the whole like the fact that like the lyrics are like telling kind of a story for the first verse, mm-hmm. you know, 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is this is this is still part of her uh, classic period, and really the the culmination of that is in I want to say in like seventy one, when Amazing Grace comes out, which is her big gospel mm-hmm. album. Um, so this is, even though this is in the seventies, this is still part of what we would call her classic period. And, um, the whole album though, in of itself is actually probably one of the weakest of her classic. period. Hmm. She kind of does some, kind of makes some stumbles with some of the covers that she chooses. She actually does two Beatles covers on the album. And I, from your description, and, they're not good. Um, one of them's okay. Um, her version of Let It Be is actually pretty good. But her cover of Eleanor Rigby is not good. Nope. Not very good. It's one of the weakest songs of her classic period, in my opinion. But it's still a lot better than most of the songs of her early period. Hmm. Okay. I need to listen to the Eleanor Rigby because that's like one of my favorite Beatles songs. Oh. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to like it then. Because listening to a cover of one of your favorite songs is just, it makes you not like it. Because it's like, it goes off of like which one have you heard first? Yeah, a lot of times that does. It's just to me, it kind of loses the um, the whole point of the lyrics, the loneliness and the 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 sadness in it. It's it's a very upbeat, funky song, and it kind of doesn't serve the yeah, song seems very like, well. I'm like listening to it now, it's like she just did. I I feel I thought oh, are you are yeah. you listening it, to it, it right like now? It's a copy and paste formula. Like she's just like let's do the let's do that beat oh. that we did on respect. But like let's I'll, I'm going to sing over it but you guys just do that blues pattern and I'll just sing. And everyone's like okay. Mm-hmm. Ethan's yeah. got the fancy technology that allows him to record and listen. I, that fancy technology mm-hmm. is a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything else to say? No, other than I feel like we're still understating, listen. even though it can never be overstated, that she also vocally kills it on this song as well. <laughs> yep. Like every yep. song is just like, wow, she She's going to kill it on every song. Like, there's no there's no breaks here. I'm telling you, even on the worst songs, she still kills it there's there's not a single song that i have heard from her yet where i'm just like yeah she phoned that Mm. one in which is just remarkable because even the best artists i'll hear songs i'm just like yeah i can tell he wasn't really Mm. trying on that one she's trying on all of them it's just again it's it's more about the quality yeah. of the song rather than the quality of the performance. Mm. I think that can bring us to the next to the next song. 
the next song, song five. which is Going Down Slow. Don't tell me this is number two. So this is a song. This isn't number two, is it? No. Okay, good. No, it's not. This is at number 10. Okay. When was this released? This stuff pretty good. So, yeah. This is a song where I kind of wanted to um, kind of have a song that's a bit more free flow, even though uh, Good to Me as I Am to You does have a bit more of an open mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, I wanted to have a song that just kind of really lets her stretch out and yeah. really kind of just riff. Kind of how in the Hendrix episode we had mm-hmm. Voodoo Child. Where it's it's a much less structured song and just more centered around just you know let's just let's just let her have an opportunity to show yeah. you why she's the. I mean, we're just kind of in that eight bar blues or that twelve bar blues progression. Because mm-hmm. this is this is just this is this song yep. is just an old blues standard. Yeah. You know, this isn't this isn't um a song that lends itself to a dramatic rendition it's not you know a song like um respect where you can it's got a specific blueprint to it already that you can experiment with like a blues song especially an eight bar blues song like this you're pretty much just going to play it as if you would the blues yep it's just the blues with a good and, singer but but it, yeah, it gives her an opportunity to yeah. just kind of really let go and and just dominate on the song, and she does. Mm-hmm. And I like that. In in a sense, now we've kind of pretty much had, you know, some pretty upbeat songs all the way up. So this is kind of the point of the set now, where we can kind of start to slow things down a little bit. And I wanted to kind of have a a song that kind of really sets us up for the finale mm-hmm. this does, this does a pretty good job of it and the the brass section kind of switching in and out of that major riffage kind of adds a little bit mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. sassiness i guess <laughs> yeah let's uh let's talk about the album that this okay. is on because this is this is actually considered to be the weakest album of her classic period. Okay. And I would say that this is definitely the strongest song on the album. Mm. Um, this is the follow-up to um, I Never Loved the Man the Way That I Loved You, which is uh, has respect on it and has the last song on our set which was like her big breakthrough mm-hmm. record. And so she, there were a lot of um, big expectations for her on this album. You know, she she comes in with this big, you know, arrival. And that's why the next album that this is on is called Aretha Arrives. You know they're they're trying to make a statement, just going, okay, Aretha is here and she's going to start dominating. And she really doesn't have a big hit off of the album. It's 
It was Rolling Stones ranked it number one on most disappointing oh follow-up my albums. Gosh. Which is uh, not an, uh, an award that you want. And I don't think it's that bad. I definitely think that it's weaker than a lot of the other um, albums that are around it. Because then after this album is Lady Soul, and that's considered one of her best, if not her best album ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's easy to see why people were very um, disappointed because it didn't have yeah. a respect on it. Um, but there, there are some very interesting covers on it. Like they do, she does a cover of the Rolling Stones satisfaction that, um, is definitely interesting as well as a very interesting take on you are my sunshine. I don't know if I want to hear that. It's actually really good. It's one of the best songs on the album. Yep, it's a weak album. And she and she actually worked she actually recorded the whole song with a broken right arm and just played the piano oh, with her so, left hand. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so she had her right arm in a sling um and just played played on the album with her left hand. And then um, I think any parts that needed right hand accompaniment, she did have a session musician play that, but all of the left hand she's playing. Wow. So even, uh, even when she is kind of in a, in a incapacitated state, you know, not even able to use her entire body, uh, she's still able to, you know, put in a world-class right. performance. Yeah. I think that this song serves as, and it's really interesting that I'm going to relate this to The Doors because they came around at the same time, is on The, on the Doors crystal ship. had The Crystal Ship, where it was kind of like, yeah, the song's good, but it really, more than anything, serves to, you know, get us ready for the next song without being too much. And I think that's what this is, because there's not a lot mm-hmm. happening in this song, hardly at all. You know, it's very, it's very basic. Yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely more of a kind of starting to 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 take a breather. Because we've kind of been pedaled yeah. to the metal, as far as just crazy vocal antics, right. all the way up to this point. And so, and so that serves well for us to get ready for the. And I think this song is is objectively, you know, like barring respect. I think that this song is is objectively, you know, a well crafted song. Is this final song? Um, compared to the other ones. Yes. Which I'm ready to talk about mm-hmm. if you guys are not. Mm-hmm. Oh, is there anything, um, any lyrical connection to her life in this song? Okay. No, this is just a, this is just a, uh, 
old blue standard that she decided okay. she wanted to I do. I remembered to ask, though. <laughs> okay. Final song. Can a change is going to come. Sitting in the studio and hearing her sing and play the piano on this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I, can you imagine I cannot. Being, like, again, like, I, I understand Eric Clapton's problem. Because, like, as I was listening <laughs> through it, I'm just like, it's just her and the piano for a little while. And I'm just like, wow. And, and when she hits that, I was born on the river. <laughs> that's just like, oh. That, I think one oh, of the God. things about Aretha Franklin that I respect is, like, there's kind of like contemporary knowledge where it's like don't like give it all away at the beginning like don't hit any crazy to don't have too much energy at the beginning of the song you know and but like Mm -hmm. she just does and it just works but i think that the thing is that like she brings it later though too like to a whole nother level like her monotone down part is the same as someone just like pushing it to their limit mm-hmm. yeah that first like 45 seconds like of the song is like worth the whole song yeah so this is a um a song originally by Sam Cooke. Okay. Who uh, is one of the, considered one of the greatest singers of all time. He kind of was there with Ray Charles in the 50s of kind of setting the groundwork for all R&B. Him and Ray Charles were, are like the godfathers mm-hmm. of R&B pretty much. And um Again, I've been we've been talking about Rolling Stones magazine a lot lately, but um, Sam Cooke's version is ranked number eleven on greatest songs of all time. Mm. And so this is this is a this is an iconic song. This is not you know where Otis Redding's respect was a um, a more obscure song of his. It was never a hit for him. This was absolutely a hit for Sam Cooke. This was kind of like How his signature is this song from the original. Um, it's actually fairly faithful. Obviously, yeah. the vocal is way more intense, but the arrangement is is not too different. Um, obviously, she changes around a lot of the mm. pronouns, you know saying sister instead of brother and um but i mean yeah this is this is this is a this is a tall order to try and you know match up with sam cook and ray charles said that um when he heard this song he knew that he had no other sister (laughs) than aretha and he said that that was still true and he said that in the 90s wow like he, they did an interview with him in the '90s. He said, "When I first heard that song, I knew that there was no one that was my sister but Aretha." Just kind of just saying that no, there was no other female soul singer that he considered to be on his level than her. And he said, and it's still true today. No one has ever come close. 
I don't consider any other female Nobody's singer getting to the be, nod from him. No, you know, no other female singer is going to get the nod. Uh-huh. Yep, and he said it was this song that convinced him of that. Hmm. But but yeah, that whole intro section I think Ethan is right is that it's very free form and it's just her and the piano. And she mm-hmm. just completely it's one of those things where you can tell a good singer by not like not like that they can hit the notes or whatever, but like what they can do with them as far as making them feel. Like when you hit the note, it's very different yeah. than hitting the note and then just like soaring with it. Yeah. And when she says and I was born and that's mm-hmm. that's when she just completely like like afterburners are on like she is soaring with the the vocal melody mm-hmm. and it's just it's a very it's a very cathartic way to kind of get to the end of right. the set like we've heard all different kinds of ways that she kills it but i think that this is this is my favorite yeah. way that she kills mm-hmm. it it's just it's so it's so emotional and so perfectly um structured she doesn't ever overdo it and that's the thing about other i've i've always been against pop singers that just like fill all of their songs full of runs and licks like it's it's what i call american idol syndrome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where they get on and they they take a simple song and they just yep. over sing it because they need to prove to the judges how good of a singer they are. And the problem is, is because a lot of um, a lot of pop modern pop singers mm-hmm. are guilty of that. I would say probably specifically like in the '90s and 2000s, you don't really see it a lot now. They've kind of a lot of pop stars I've noticed have kind of simplified a lot, a lot. of what they're doing yeah, vocally. A lot. Yeah. But you know, you think of like the Mariah Carey's and all those artists in the nineties and two thousands, it was just like everything was uh, Mariah Carey tried to tried to carry the Franklin torch. It's a nut it's it's another reason why I've never been a huge fan of Beyonce. I feel like it's a lot of runs to where I'm just like, I wish it would be sung straight. Mm. Yeah, those are fighting words. Um, I know. And then that, that's more of an opinion, but that's, just, that's kind of something to where I was just like, yeah, and I think that's where I more would like when I would see her on yeah. award shows, or I was just, I would just be like, come no. on, just sing no, it. Everybody, brings stop, the sauce like, stop. It's oh. live. Yeah, like that's like me saying Freddie Mercury doing the. Eh, I'm just like, can you just get into the next song? Just stop <laughs> embellishing. Can you now just get now into let me, the next song, now let me, Freddie? Thank you. <laughs> Now let me tell you who does not um, overdo it live, and that's Aretha Franklin. Oh, really? 
It's even when, even, well, and it's the thing is like, it's always so perfect when uh, she does it. Like, yeah. It's just, it doesn't feel like it's being overdone. You're listening to her and you're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. Because her um, her Amazing Grace album was also filmed. Whoa. And I watched that in, <laughs> as part of my research. Oh, <laughs> Lord. And it's like oh, the gospel Lord. record. So, like, the crowd is probably mm-hmm. super in it. Oh, Mick wow. Jagger was there. Gosh, can you imagine? Uh, oh, yeah. I cannot even imagine being at that show. And and let me tell you what. It is no unlike any gospel I've ever heard in my life. I can't wait to do this episode. So is that, that going to be the, the part two? It's going to be so fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's just so unassuming when she goes up there. And then she just like gets to the piano and she starts playing and she starts singing. I'm just like, Oh God. Oh no. Mm. This is incredible. So yeah, I mean, just in every single possible way, she is just a master at what she did. And I just, I totally believe everything that everyone says now about her being the greatest. Now, as far as male vocalists, I'm still mm. Freddie Mercury. But I have to even admit that Aretha is is an even step up beyond that. Wow. Everyone take note before he goes mm-hmm. back on it. And of course Freddie is and of course Freddie will always be my favorite mm. as but well. But even Freddie admitted he was but... just like, you know what? <laughs> And you can tell that a lot of what Freddie did, he, I, there would be songs of hers I was listening to. I'm just like, I hear a lot of Freddie in this, but it's obviously before Queen was even founded. And I can just, I can just tell that that's what his inspiration is. This is a great song to end the set on. It's just so. It's yeah. like not chill, but but it's it's soul music. Like you 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 just sit down, you listen to it, and you're just like yeah, yeah. It's like McDonald's. It's good for your soul. Yeah. Ba da ba ba ba. Well, do you guys have anything else? I I am... don't, but I but I don't want to leave the moment unless. Unless there's something about the, this well, song I, relating to her life, because I promised myself I'd ask every time. Okay. Not not on, not in this case. That I'm good. Oh, how did, did she we, end up did, like ending her career? Like like, um, well, yeah, but like by dying. What did it look like towards the end for her? Um, it was not in a good place. Mm. She, uh, just again, where she gets in danger is, um, trying to outdo her competition. And her last album that she released was, um, Aretha Sings the Divas. It's a compilation album of modern pop stars that, like, she does a, she does a version of Rolling in the Deep at 75 years old 
that it's just like, oh, uh, that was probably not the best idea. Hmm. Hmm. So, and just her voice had had very much diminished. Although it was, she could still sing really well. It just was not near the level that it. And I mean, that's expected. When you're in your 70s, you're not going to sound as good as you did in your 20s. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, she... At that point, there's nothing that she could do to tarnish her reputation, but she was not putting out, like, late-career gems. Not in the way that, say, David Bowie or Rush was. Yeah. The Christmas but, you album, know. Though. Uh, are you talking about her late career Christmas album I have not listened to it but I've heard that it's not great you said Christmas album that reminded me of our worst songs yeah did did we get the did we get the ranking for this last song oh Oh, no it's number five so we're missing number two. The so number two so is we not got a on one, this episode. Three, four, five, ten, and six. Six. Wow. So we got five of the top six. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we are going to uh, share our final thoughts. So. Um, stay tuned we'll be right back hey what's up everybody it's Ethan welcome back to the good music podcast we just got done listening to our six songs from Aretha Franklin which were respect think good to me as I am to you son of a preacher man going down slow and a change is gonna come and now we are into our final segment which is final thoughts so grant uh how has this deep dive into aretha franklin changed uh changed your thoughts about her well i'm gonna be honest i have not listened to a single aretha franklin song before this podcast wow uh not at all like you had never heard respect uh no You'd never wow, really? You'd never even nope. come across it? Like, I, not heard it in a shopping mall in the background I'm, or on I'm a commercial? Sure that I, I'm sure that I have, but I everything felt very new to me. And so, obviously, this was like, this was like completely new artist. But obviously, I knew she existed because we've talked about her before. And there's also, she's mentioned in my favorite Steely Dan song, um, hey, nineteen. That's Aretha yeah. Franklin. That is that is my favorite Steely Dan song because I am nineteen. She don't have, remember the Queen of Soul. I I have to find a. And song you didn't remember the Queen of Soul. But anyway, <laughs> um, no, I I didn't hear. I hadn't heard a single Aretha Franklin song. So obviously, I had no idea what the big deal was. I was like, oh, maybe she's like, uh okay singer from this era and she's like good for that time and she's just kind of mediocre now 
which is kind of like Lucas. That's kind of the way that you sort of spin things when we go back in time. Is like, oh, this is revolutionary for the time, but obviously now it's like everybody does this. But this is sort of the side of music that I never really get into anyway. And so it was like it this this episode more than probably any other episode was like a completely whole new experience all the way around. Yeah, and I, really I feel- liked it. I really, really liked it. <laughs> um, because, I don't know, because, like, just showing off somebody's vocal ability is something that, like, we don't do very often on this podcast. Yeah, we're usually talking about the other band members. Mm-hmm. And we we barely even touched on that, and yet we had so much to listen to and uh, a lot to talk about. And there was a lot to just, like, digest from listening. And I think that that's really, I guess it's really cool. It's not really a cohesive final thought, but I just, I found it really great to focus on a specific member of the band, you know, and and of a genre that I never discovered before. It was a completely new experience, and I really enjoyed it. So if you're a metal guy like me, you know, you might like Aretha Franklin. If for whatever reason you haven't listened to the songs yet and you've gotten to the end of the episode, I don't know. For the two of you who fit that description, listen to the songs. (laughs) Final thought ended. All right. (laughs) I think for me, already knowing Aretha Franklin and having listened to most of these songs before i would say i'm probably a little bit i i would never say that i have gone through and listened to all of the i've never been like a super super fan of aretha franklin but i already knew that as far as i guess female vocalist like i mean you pretty much have ella fitzgerald Nina Simone, Whitney Houston, and like Aretha Franklin are like the like the the queens of the genre. And um I I didn't know that she was so private. And I guess the proof that I don't know that she that she's private is in the fact that I had only ever heard about her vocal ability. I had never heard that she was like a really charitable person or that she was doing all these. I had never heard anything like good or bad other than her vocal. So it was really interesting to kind of like the first section was really interesting, but even listening through the songs, I think it just solidifies for me. Like she just, her vocals were just so powerful and in the after hours whenever we talk about the six worst songs i'm really interested to see because she had a similar arranging style per song like the instruments were the same the drums sound a lot the same the horn sections like it wasn't super diverse like i mean we're talking about the late 60s though so you know the Beatles were just now getting to the point where like experimenting with a genre was even acceptable and loved. 
but it's just her her ability to shape the song just vocally is just accentuated even more and so my final thoughts on it is just it's one it just re-solidifies her as one of the best female vocalists of all time but I think also it's sad to that she was so private and it's sad that all of her I guess whatever trauma or whatever that she went through as a child and in her first marriage like I hate that that kind of like stunted her like growth as like a human being because I feel like we would have gotten I would have loved to talk about the story of whenever Aretha Franklin had like truly moved past all of that stuff but we don't really get that period you know like I don't feel mm-hmm. like she ever outgrew her insecurities. I feel like she like held on to them till the grave. And I and I wish that we could have talked about, you know, she was such an insecure person, but you know, she did X Y Z thing, or there was a reconciliation, and then the true unfiltered like accepting of herself, like non caring Aretha Franklin showed up, and we had a second renaissance of music. But I'm sad that we don't get to talk about that. And it seems like she kind of stayed the same Aretha Aretha from the 70s as she was till the 2010s. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit sad to me. But all in all, you know, those are those are my final thoughts. Um, so for me, I was very much looking forward to doing this episode because I knew that I was going to be getting an experience that I, uh, and into a genre that I'd never gotten into before. I'm long overdue into getting into soul music and to, um, getting into these types of artists. And whenever I was listening to, um, I guess what we call the official biography, the second try by his biographer or her biographer. And he just kept talking about all of these, what I could tell from the way he was talking, these big, important artists, but I didn't know them. I didn't know their music. I couldn't tell you what their songs were. I was just like, Oh my gosh, there is a whole world of music that I still am completely ignorant to. And it started to get me really excited about all the, the episodes that we're going to start doing now of all these big artists. Like, um, you know, them talking about, um, Etta James and Dinah Washington and Sam Cooke and Ray Charles. And it was just like, man, I know so little, if nothing about these artists. I can't wait to learn about them. I guess I got to thank Aretha for helping me take that step into that world. Um, and then as far as what I feel about Aretha in general, I mean, just, I went from thinking that she was an overrated singer and someone that did not musical creativity 
to realizing that she might be one of the greatest musical minds of the 20th century as far as pop music goes. And definitely its greatest voice. I mean, I now believe 100% all the hype that was put upon her. Mm. I mean, it just, it makes so much sense now. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm now in the 0.05% of, of Aretha Franklin fans, depending on my, uh, on my Spotify rap uh, <laughs> report. So uh, this was really fun. I'm, I'm really excited about the new directions that we can start moving. You know, I'm going to try more and more to kind of tackle artists that would not be what I guess which a classic rock heavy metal person would be expected to cover. And that's an exciting idea. So um, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every single week, 9 a.m. Central. Next week, we're going to be going into yet another uh, brand new genre that we haven't talked about yet on this um, on this podcast, and that is... Oh, should I dare say it? Say We're going to be talking about emo music, which Ooh. I think, which I think, undeservedly gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, because I really, really like the songs that we're going to be talking about next week. What the artist is, I'll leave you in a little bit of suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure that you follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, if you check out the links in the description of the episode, that will take you to um, Spotify where you can listen to all the songs on this episode, as well as to our Patreon page where you can uh, get access to exclusive content, including the after hours segment that we're Woo-hoo-hoo. about to start. Six so, songs, baby. Yeah. It's always a, a really fun, interesting discussion. Yeah. Oh, and with with that, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs> <laughs>